You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahaven.com. Welcome to Grow, Cook, Eat, Arrange, the podcast with me, Arthur Parkinson, and my friend, Sarah Raven. And today, myself and Sarah are delighted because we're sat in front of our new autumn range catalogue, which showcases all the bulbs, which almost three years ago, if not two years ago, we were looking at in the garden at Perch Hill, deciding which ones we loved, doing new collections and rearranging old collections, picking them, putting them into vases, bowls, our jewel vases in the case of tulips and then as spring progressed it went on to the narcissi the alliums and of course before the tulips we had all the crocuses and muscari and it's such a lovely podcast to do because we often don't have time to sit down and look at this catalogue together we're just texting and whatsapping each other about it so it's lovely to be taking the time to pick what we're going to plant this autumn in terms of bulbs so sarah what has really caught your eye while we've been flicking it's funny isn't it it's so true what you say which is I've sent a great order off <laughs> as a result of looking through it because it's like you have to go with your gut and obviously we've seen them in the flesh and we're lucky, which most people, you know, you won't know all of it anyway. And that's why Arthur suggested that we do these highlights of, of each seasonal range. And, and I think it is a really good thing. So I have picked one collection from each of my four palettes and Oh, you'll have heard me go on about the four palettes and we've done a whole podcast episode on it in the beginner or or sort of new to gardening series that we did. And so I'm not going to bang on about them, but basically the first palette is rich and that's things like crimsons and deep purple and real vermilion, rich orange, etc. the velvet colours. And my favourite that I'm so excited and that I've ordered two lots of these to go on my doorstep because it's just so sort of rich (laughs) and looks so like velvet. And it's the teal bucket tulip collection. And what I like about it is that it's not just the deep rich colours like Antraset and Ridgedale, which are a real long-standing favourite crimson magentary tulips doubles, so very long-lasting, but it's got a zap of naughtiness from a couple of new tulips, one called Colour Fusion, which is actually one of the fringe varieties, which a lot of people don't like. But I don't like them chock-a-block with each other, but I like them as almost a bit of fairy dust scattered through the rest. And that's exactly what you get in the Till Bucket tulip collection. And then there's another tulip called Ray. And again, it's just a bit naughty. It's what I call the gate crasher. And I just think the balance of that, it's just beautiful and it looks very good with green. And of course, you know, the garden in spring, there is a lot of green. So that's my first passion um, right at the beginning of the catalogue and on the cover of some of them, actually. But, you know, really core to our range, whether it's catalogue or web. What about you? Sticking with with the rich colour palette, firstly, it's a collection of two varieties that it's a new collection, but I've grown both of these for the past couple of years, both beautiful, big heads of tulips and this spring because the weather was you know every spring we can't really guarantee the weather anymore but this particular spring there's a wonderful time in the garden of about two weeks where in all my pots I had the hyacinths giving the the bottom color of each pot and then above them I had the tulips Mm. and um, this collection is really good if you're wanting cloudy 
just beautiful, bold tulips. Palmyra, which is mm. my favourite. I've mentioned it a lot, mm. a lot. It's a double, so no good for bees, but fantastic cut flower and a fantastic garden presence too. Rich mulberry on a very strong stem. And then it's been paired with brown sugar, which is now another classic. But unlike Palmyra, it's a single. And like most of the orange tulips, it's got a beautiful scent of freesias. And I just mm. think they're both a lovely pairing for pots in particular or scattered through a border because they're big heads. Mm. Um, and Palmyra is very early and after that will come brown sugar, but they'll both meet each other. Mm. You'll have a lovely um, fortnight at least of those two luscious colours side by side. Yeah, they're, they're crackers and really long lasters, aren't mm. they? And because yeah. of being double, they last brilliantly in the vase and brilliantly in a pot. Well, and a border, of course. So my next one is from my second palette, which is what I call the Boiled Sweet Palette or Bold and Brilliant Sweet Palette. And it's the Bold and Brilliant Tulip Collection and it's got pink, crimson, dark red and orange. Now that may sound whoa, crazy, too busy. But it isn't. It looks like a jar of boiled sweets in an old-fashioned sweet shop. And it's joyful. And it's oh, just, we had this collection lining the perennial cutting garden paths and the long toms, both sides of the path this spring. And I walk that way to let the chickens out in the morning, to go and pick flowers. I walk that path several times a day. And each time I walk past this, it just lifted my spirits. I, I just think it's the way to go. So that would be my choice number two. Beautiful. So, so lo lovely and cheerful. And I'm sticking with, with bright, sweet shop colours. And I'm actually looking at my favourite photo in the catalogue. I've seen it before, but it's just a beautiful photo of the rose garden at Percher with the rose foliage in bronze and green. And the first of the honesty is out too, but scattergunned through all the roses, just like diamonds naturally flocked together is the rose border tulip collection and it's wonderful to go to Perch Hill and find this collection it's been in the garden now for a few years I'm constantly picking out of it mm. and the perenniality of of all these ones is is incredible so you've got Aleppo which is a beautiful one which I think began its life in the Oast Garden didn't it it was planted as yeah. a mistake yeah and we both loved it yeah totally. um, it's one of the fringe petaled varieties yeah um, but it's almost like um, a bottle of Lucozade mixed with grapefruit juice is the colour. Um, orange and then yeah, so apricotty coral pink. Uh, so that's kind of like the, the tallest. Then you've got Antracet, which is a really beautiful plum, tart, crumble, pinkish tone. Double, mm. so peony. Mm. So that's giving you clout. And then Apricot Fox, which is one that I struggle with, but actually... In this combination, and when it's scattered through the rose foliage, so you get it bouncing off the bronze of the new leaves, really looks beautiful. And then again is brown sugar, which mm. is another tall one, brilliant with Aleppo. Mm. And I think, you know, this photo just illustrates what a rose garden should look like. It's not about bare soil. It is about having, you know, just a few tulips through the roses and then the biennial honesty, which is the best thing to plant on top of your tulips because it starts to flower just as the tulips are starting to go over a little bit, but they, they might meet each other if the weather's nice to them. And so what a beautiful photograph. And I will mention all the photos are by Jonathan Buckley. They're just beautiful. Whenever mm. I look at them, I'm just instantly inspired, which is why we're going through the catalogue. Yeah. So perenniality is the link and sort of border collection is the link to my next one, which is in the third palette, which is the soft and cool. So mm. those are the the colours that are mixed with a lot of white, but they're in the sort of mauve, purple, blue, 
white, you know, quite crisp snow white. And that's the super perennial tulip collection. Now, to be honest, this has been a really good store seller for us for probably 20 years now. I first planted it under roses when I first arrived at Petchel and it is still coming up. So if you want to be, you know, careful on budget, which of course we all do, particularly at the moment, and you want just to buy one group of tulips that you're going to put in a border somewhere really like you walk past every day, I would say the super perennial tulip collection is an absolute winner because they are super perennial and they're beautiful. There's a pink and green, a white and green, and a sort of terracotta orangey colour and green. Um, Mm. Beautiful. Yeah, really wonderful and wonderful to see them growing through the cardoons and the artichokes. My next one is is a very close cousin of that collection. Uh, it's the farmhouse garden tulip collection, mm. and um, increasingly, I am buying tulips as Christmas presents. Uh, some people argue with me that they should be planted earlier, but last year I did plant them the day after Christmas. I bought this collection from my grandma Sheila. She lives in a bungalow. I'd already planted in a front flower bed plugs of honesty, and so with the bulb planter, I just scattered the bulbs through the little honesty seedlings, planted each bulb where it landed. And I promise you the the mix of the heart of the tulips and then this confetti fluttering of the honesty flowers. It was Mm. so beautiful. This isn't a palette that years ago I would have liked, Mm. but making it alive with the honesty, I just love it. And I'm really interested to see if it comes back well, uh, Mm. because it should do. There's some, as Sarah said, there's a few varieties from the collection Sarah's just been talking about. But it was a beautiful collection, enough you know, I planted, I think I did 60 bulbs. So we mm. were picking vases and leaving enough oh, for this yeah. little front flower bed to not feel like it had been ravaged. But it just gave my grandma weeks and weeks of pleasure. Whenever we spoke, she was like, another one's come out. And, oh, that's so yeah, nice. So a beautiful one for traditional cottage garden colours. And I think as long as you're scattergunning them and planting them where they land, so they look natural. So not rose, but just like jewels through your herbaceous plants when you've cut them back. Just plop them in where they land and I think that's how to to do them. Do you know what? That's given me an idea, Arthur. I definitely think we should do one on looking out the window. Yeah. So, you know, for people who aren't so mobile, uh, like Sheila, um, Mm. and maybe we do looking out your window into a sunny border and looking out your window into a shady border and what we'd recommend. Definitely. So I'm going to put that on the list for a future subject. That's a lovely idea. Uh, The fourth And final palette in the collections uh, for the tulips for me is the soft and warm palette. So those are the sort of milky coffees, latte coffee, soft apricot, soft sort of slightly, you know, things again, which are high percentage of white. So they're not these saturated colours. They've been um, not watered down, but made more gentle, more pastel. And that, for me, was uh, probably one of my favourite tulips collections in the garden this spring, which was the Coral Sand Tulip Collection. And again, like Arthur's saying, a few years ago, this wouldn't have been my favourite palette. But actually, this year, the combination of Copper Image, which is a sort of strange, browny, pinky, rather sophisticated sort of vintage silk colour, with Ridgedale, which is like a sort of Victoria Plum with the, you know that sort of blush that you get, that bloom that you get on the outer skin. Ridgedale reminds me of that. And those two, with a little bit of contrast from Apricot Fox and Apricot Copex, which are both soft apricots, it was absolutely incredible. And it came into flower 
really genuinely at the end of March and we were still looking at it a good five or six weeks later. So that would be my final tulip collection that I wanted to mention. I've got another tulip collection, but I'm going to have to take us back to the brights, imagining that I've got an allotment or maybe a large garden because I love the circus tulip collection. It's not one I've ever done in a pot, but whenever I go to Perchill and see it, I think, oh, that makes me feel happy. And I'm also thinking about planting this with pressed tulips in mind um, Mm. because there's Rem's favourite and Helmar, which both look like the really expensive tulips that I always see every year on Instagram that are grown by people who who have got bigger gardens than me, the the heritage varieties that aren't really um, available to buy. But both Helmar and Rem's favourite are laced beautifully Mm. and um, I must plant them purely for pressing. And Texas Flame, which is a new variety. I've not come across that one before. But that it does look beautiful. And I would plant this in an allotment, imagining it almost like a bed of the most crazy show tent-like dahlias. You know, yeah. I wouldn't want yeah. it. Yeah. I wouldn't want it, you know, en masse uh, through my garden. But certainly for picking, I think these these three varieties would be absolutely gorgeous as, as pick flowers. Yeah. Well, you're, you're, you're throwing me very good links, Arthur, because oh, pressing flowers <laughs> is the... My next choice, it's Tulipa cuminata. And it's this crazy one that looks much more like a wild tulip. So it, it looks like a daddy long legs crossed with a spider, but it's a tulip in red and yellow. And a lot of people will think, oh, I don't like red and yellow. But it's ethereal. It's sort of Kate Bush, kind of ghostly, elegant, <laughs> wafty. And it presses amazingly. So we've had Melissa Richardson from Jam Jar Flowers on the podcast, and I hope we'll have her again because she's just got a a book out at the moment about pressing flowers. And I have one on my wall here of Tulipa cuminata pressed by her. And it's such a beautiful thing. I've got to show it to you later. But I'm definitely going to grow lots more of those, and I'm going to try pressing them because Mm. they've just got, you know, tulips can be quite blobby when they're pressed. Yeah, you have to air them. Yeah, this has just got such great shape that it's a, it's a winner. Yeah. I'm going to end my, my tulip selection with two tiny ones, but Josie planted them so beautifully this, this past spring. She had them in like bowls along the ta- on the table, all en masse. Little beauty, mm. which was the most... It wasn't what I thought it would be. It's, it's quite a cloudy pink, almost merging on magenta in the sun. And um, it just looked so beautiful en masse that I'm going to plant that as well as Little Princess, which is orange. So I'm going to try and do those both together mm. in a bowl. And they're species, so they should be quite perennial. Yeah, I very think. perennial. Yeah, yeah they, they, you know, if you either lift them and put them in plastic pots to just mm. store them and then put yeah. them back again, they'll, they'll come back year on year. Yeah. So I've got three individual tulips just to finish with. And they're all there because they've really struck me as being very unusual. So, you know, we I adore, adore ballerina. I adore the tulip called me, Sarah Raven. I adore brown sugar that we've mentioned. But these are three new ones and I'm really excited by them. And I saw them in Holland just when we came out of lockdown and they are fantastic. And the first is Belleville. Now, I personally find yellow tulips a little difficult to integrate in the garden. But this is not yellow. It's kind of a colour of turmeric. You know, it's it's sort of yellow ochre more. And also it's got a lovely blush on the outside, which is a sort of deep orangey purple. So it's very, very unusual colour. And I loved that this year. I loved it growing in a border. I loved it cut for the vase. So, And actually I had it underplanted with a 
primrose yellow wallflower in it. It just looks stunning. So really unusual, that colour, and really beautiful. And the second one is Cadence. And this again, this was in the Oast Garden on trial this spring. And it's genuinely the most rich, intense, saturated, extraordinary orange. So it's not the colour of orange. It's, again, got much more kind of vermilion and, and sort of crimson in it. But it glowed. It honestly, in the dusk and the dawn, it just glowed, this rich colour. I, I would say Heights tomato soup, but it, it's kind of nicer than that. But it, it's heading towards that colour and it, it's beautiful. Flowered for ages and just stood out. It really did. It was amazing. And the final one is, is one called Green Power. And it's quite a funny one it's story, this in a way, because I actually selected this from a visit to the Kirkenhof before we even had COVID. So in spring 2019, and then I kind of forgot about it. And I was then at the Kirkenhof with Lou, my business partner, this spring. And we both fell on this green tulip, which almost looked like an ice cream, a sort of pistachio ice cream with sort of small flecks and flushes of pink through it. Absolutely beautiful. And because it's a green tulip, it flowers for six weeks at least because they've got this more robust petal structure, more like a calyx than a petal really. So it's brilliant value in terms of garden value. And it's so unusual, really, truly green, like a, a viridiflora, but even more green. And I couldn't more passionately recommend that. So over to you on daffs. <laughs> I tried quite a few daffs this spring. And apart from one, I've given them all away. Because I didn't you? like any of them. I really thought I'd oh, love the pinks. Yeah. I've loved them with you and I've arranged them. But in the garden, I just couldn't bear them. But there's one that I've kept the bulbs of and allowed all the green richness to go back into the bulbs because I just love them. Scents, absolute beautiful pheasant's eye. Mm, um, right. You know, if, mm. if I'm ever lucky enough to have an orchard, I will invest a lot of money in thousands of pheasant eye bulbs because I just think it's the most elegant thing. Yeah. And plant them as I do for now without a lawn. I have them in small pots so I can just move the pot into the house as a living perfume factory. Yeah. And lovely, lovely. what I did this this last autumn for, for flowering this past spring was I overplanted it with the Viola Tiger I read. Mm. And it was the most lovely pairing because you have the redness of the middle of the pheasant uh, side yes, met with the, the beautiful daintiness of the Viola and... It was so beautiful. It was one of my favourite things this spring. So, That's so bizarre, Arthur, because yeah. you always say you hate I white. I know, <laughs> I know. But it was so beautiful. Yeah. And it was like, I don't know what it reminded me of, but it, it kind of, it worked. Yeah. I wouldn't have wanted a whole bed of it, but in a pot. It's sort of Persian, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, Persian. And mm. it was in um, the small leaf plant that we sell. Mm. And it was just a lovely, mm. lovely thing. And while I'm talking about bulbs in pots, please make sure they've all got drainage holes in before mm. you plant any bulbs. <laughs> yeah, well done. Well, I can't agree with you about Narcissi. Mm -hmm. I really love them. And one of the reasons I love them is that they are so, so perennial. So I was brought up mainly on the west coast of Scotland and we have a family holiday cottage there. And there are Narcissi there. It's actually the double Poeticus, which is very scented and very late, that are still coming up. They were planted in 1890 wow. when the wall garden was made. And honestly, they are still there. And it, it, it's like there are deer, there are sheep. They get hammered by wildlife and nature. They still come up and they've been coming up for a very, very long time. So that's why I always am looking for 
new DAFs and new Narcissi. And, and when I go to Holland now, I'm as much looking for them as I am for the tulips, really. And there's a few that I just really want to highlight. And there's one called Lika, which is L-A-E-K-E. And it's very elegant and very, very scented. But I actually loved it in a vase that you did, which was with through Amalankia yeah, Blossom. Yeah, I like that too. And these, in a way, you have to kind of not think of them in the same family as pheasant's eye, which you've just talked about, because they couldn't look more different. They're sort of crazy. They're like kind of ice cream parfait. You know, they're a bit over the top. But the Bedside Table Collection, which has really all very scented, it has actually got Actair in it, which is one of the pheasant's eye. But it also has Sir Winston Churchill, which is a double very, very, very scented which was bred, I think, in, in the Sillies or Cornwall. It's got one called Pink Charm, which is the colour of pink grapefruit. And then this one called My Story and Lika as well. And it smelt incredible. And really unusually for Narcissi, uh, they lasted seven or eight days in the vase. Mm. So I'm definitely planting a bed of those so that I can just pick to my heart's content. Lovely. Rosa May looks nice too. I've not grown that one before. That looks quite dainty. That it might, is nice. Yeah, that might be planted this year. It is lovely. And it does flower genuinely in May. And it smells of Stephanotis. Yeah. It's beautifully fragrant. Mm. What next? I spied cycling along literally last week. It was in the, the, a churchyard near where I live. And it was the only grave that had been mown to an inch of its life. But within the, the grave, the shape of the, the, where the coffin would have been, someone had planted Gladiolus uh, Byzantine. Mm. Um, not pronounced that right at all. You'll have to Byzantinus, yeah. Yeah. But it was the most vivid, beautiful, you know, rocket of magenta purple with the long grass. And um, clearly it liked being in grass too. So um, that's one that I'm going to try and get into the garden this, this autumn. Yeah. It's a nice cheap bulb. Whistling um, Jack is yeah, called. Yeah, Whistling Jack. And yeah. it naturalises. So you can grow that, well, as they were there, but mm. um, it thrives. It can really, it's strong enough to thrive in grass. Yeah. And there's a very, very, very beautiful garden on the coast of Dorset, just this side of Bridport, called mm. Chilcom. And um, they have naturalised, it used to be called by, uh, Gladiolus byzantinus subspecies communis, or subspecies commun. oh anyway. And um, it's naturalised there mm. and, and looks completely stunning. Yeah, I love it. Okay, well, I'm going for something completely new to me in 2022. Well, not completely because we trialled it, but we had this plant en masse in the greenhouse and it started flowering in February in the greenhouse and we cut it down last week. So it's done March, April, May, June, and now it's been cut down and it's the butterfly ranunculus. Now, ranunculus, I find, can get mildew, the fully pom-pom ones that are so fashionable in floristry. But these butterfly ones, which are semi-double or even single rather than the puffy, fully double pom-poms. And we had two growing in the greenhouse that were just sort of, we had them left over from shop stock, I think. And there's one which is called Ariadne and another one called Lycia or Lycia. And uh, they were just exquisite. Ariadne particularly Again, not not massively my colour. It's a sort of off-white washed with a sort of almost like a shelly pink, um, really soft, slightly kind of browny pink, but brown sounds wrong. But, you know, it's not Barbie doll pink at all, very, very gentle pink. And 
It just was stunning. And for our away days, I picked loads of that with big boughs of blossom. Again, amelanchia and cherry blossom. And you did amazing, huge arrangements because these stems of it are almost a metre and they have a vase life of two weeks and are just absolutely stunning, totally stunning. So I, I'm going to put more of those in the greenhouse. And if you've got a cold frame or a greenhouse or a conservatory or a polytunnel or a garden, <laughs> because, of course, they'll just fly later in the garden. But I couldn't more passionately recommend the butterfly ranunculus. They're just stunning. They're expensive, but they're completely perennial. So, again, you'll be looking at them in 10 years' time. So that would be my next choice for sure. Yeah, they are beautiful. And each petal, like silk wedding dress fabric. Yeah, that's um, it. And as you described, with the blossom, people it, people just flocked to that on the away days. So yeah. More people asked me what that was than anything else. And in our April and May garden open days, yeah. they did too. Yeah. I'm delighted to see our new Fox Glove collection has made it. Um, <gasps> oh, good. I'm, I was going to mention that. Well, yeah. That's good. That, <laughs> we I'm can very both happy. talk about that then. I'm mainly delighted because it's got a variety that I've loved for several years. I first grew it um, at the M Bridgewater factory. It's called Pam's Choice. Mm. And um, it's such a wonderful thing. It's like... Um, Muller fruit corner yogurt when you've put the blackberry compote on top of the white yogurt each trumpet so it's so dramatic and lovely and the foxgloves this this year have been incredible they seem to have gone on for weeks and weeks and the best thing you could plant for bees and i think i've said in the past i don't have much room to do summer seed sowing so i often do buy my foxgloves in as plugs and uh, as long as you get them in the ground before it gets too cold they'll they'll do really well Great. Yeah. Well, I was going to mention those as well. Yeah. And I totally agree. I mean, I love all three in that collection, mm. but I think probably Pam's Choice is, is my number one. And funnily enough, I saw it in rather a chic hotel about two weeks yeah, ago. I saw it on Instagram. That. Just, mm. just a vase of just Pam's Choice. And it yeah. just looks so stylish and so beautiful. I immediately sent a message to Josie saying, can we do it? And <laughs> that was one of the things I ordered this morning. So um, <laughs> hopefully they'll be winging their way. We can't, I think, mention autumn planting without wallflowers. And this year was very good for wallflowers because we had quite a dry winter. And actually, even April was pretty cold, but pretty dry. I mean, we've had very wet weather recently. But anyway, so I also placed a big order for the Rich Velvet Wallflower Collection because I love these en masse down the edge of a path. And both sides sort of, you know, scalloping one side with Fire King, moving on to Ruby Gem on the other side and then back to Fire King and then over to Vulcan, which is a dark red. So you're going from Fire King is a sort of toffee apple orange. Ruby Gem is is sort of a pinky amethyst. And then Vulcan is a deep, deep wine red. And I'm going to stick with those this year. Sometimes mm. I've done pastel, but I'm just going to go with those rich velvets. Yeah. And one of the reasons... I love it is, of course, or them is perfume, perfume, perfume. And we just plant them as complete carpets uh, with the tulips rocketing up through them and pick, 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 pick. And if you sear the stem ends in boiling water and then put a good slosh of vinegar in their flower water, because they're part of the brassica family, they can get a bit pongy and sort of cabbagey. But if you put the uh, vinegar in the water, it stops that happening. I love them. Yeah, I do, I do too. Reminiscent of my childhood and mm. just the most wonderful thing for tulips and or, as you said, lining a path. And thinking about something that I would almost treat this if I knew I'd got, you know, maybe a winter wedding or something that was going to be really perennial and give joy 
all the way through, you know, winter into early spring, it would be Helleborus maestro. Oh, um, yeah, I nearly, nearly did yeah, that one too. <laughs> I know I spoke about it before. <laughs> no, it's but fine, I, I, I think it. I think it's, you know, don't please don't buy any flown in flowers this winter. Get get yourself a few of these mm. and take them to people and they will come back year upon year. And it was so nice. There was a moment in January when I was washing the pots and I had the window open because of the steam of the washing up. And I could hear the buzzing of this huge cream bumblebee mm. right by the door. Mm. And um, yeah, it's a it's a subtle dusky pink, but it, it's something that will give you months of flower before everything else wakes up. And very happy in a pot, you know, if you've got a shady doorstep, as long as you remember to water it, if it's dry shade or a nice moist, you know, basement garden, it'll be very happy. And the leaves are beautiful too for the rest of the year. Yeah, good. Well, that was that was on my list, so um, that, that's good. I can take that one out. So two more. So I was on scent with the wallflowers and I'm going back to scent because I have been so, so, so impressed by the container-compatible honeysuckles. And, you know, some of the honeysuckles, the like Belgica, it, you know, it gets to six or seven metres. I mean, it'll romp right over an arch. It'll go up through, into a tree. And I love them for that. But if you have a small garden and you're mainly growing in pots, it's also lovely to have uh, honeysuckles. And there's just been such great breeding of these normally quite, not thuggish, but strong growing climbers, uh, lots of clematis, but also these honeysuckles that have been made smaller. And there's one called rhubarb and custard, which gets to a couple of metres. But there's one actually called strawberries and cream, which only gets to a metre. And that makes it sound like it, it, it's almost too small, but we've actually got it growing over a silver birch teepee in a copper sitting against the gardener's office at Perch Hill. And I was looking at it only yesterday because I was drawn to it by the perfume. So in this little west-facing corner, it just made the whole place smell the most amazing, amazing, amazing sort of powder puff mm. of that old-fashioned sort of almost maiden art, like wallflowers in, in its perfume. And it looks great. It looks really healthy. Hasn't got any of that sort of slightly manky leaves that you sometimes get with the honeysuckles. I couldn't more recommend it, really. Just wonderful. Yeah, and the moths love them too, don't they? Yeah, of course, um, moths. Yeah. yeah, night pollinated. Yeah. I'm sticking with um, woody things too, and I'm so glad to see it's in the catalogue. Cornus uh, midwinter fire. If oh, there that was, was your idea. Yeah. If there was one shrub that I would have, you know, in the garden, it would it would be this one simply because... It just looks like, you know, a, a wonderful burning, you know, like bonfire in a pot uh, for months, particularly when the, the winter sun hits it. All different shades of yellow and then orange and then amber. And it will become a lovely shape. It goes into itself. And so it's really nice for a pot. becomes like a globe very easily. And you just need to give it a light prune. I would say probably not every year. It's not as vigorous as the other cornices, but probably every second year, give it a light prune so you get a bit more of the fresh growth which have got the most colour in them I love the photo here it's got a robin in so um, it would also make a lovely hedge for a small garden too great so I'm going to move on to the edibles now I don't know if you've chosen any probably not knowing Uh you Um, (laughs) but it's the winter salads and I couldn't more passionately urge you to get out of your armchair or driving along and get going with growing edibles If you've got a coal frame or a sunny south-facing sheltered pot or anywhere undercover, like if you've got a greenhouse that has your tomatoes in it at this time of year, please, please, please grow some hardy winter salads. 
both the leaves, which have the punchy flavor like Mitsuna Red Nights, Mustard Red Frills. You know, we've got a, a hardy winter salad leaf collection in the catalogue. And that is tried and tested by me over many, many years. And it just keeps me happy right the way through the winter and hopefully a bit healthy too. And we now also have a handsome winter lettuce collection to go with it. And it's got wonderful ones like ciabatta, which sounds like the bread, but isn't, which really will take several degrees of frost. And then the red of winter, rouge d'hiver, it's in French. And uh, there's another one with a silly name called out red just not outrageous, but outrageous, which is dark red and a tried and tested, really hardy one called Cos Freckles. So I would do my base of my salad every day through the winter from one of those lettuces, harvested, not taking the whole heart at once, but picking the individual leaves. And then I would toss it through with some of these punchy uh, salad leaves, um, like mustard red frills or whatever, or salad rocket. And that will keep me happy for every meal between sort of October and April. Couldn't more recommend them. Well, I've picked two edible things, actually. Oh, well done, Arthur. Um, One is for my dad because he's got a big garden and I really feel a bed of rhubarb would would (laughs) suit the garden really well. I love the names, Timperley Early Victoria and Raspberry Red. Uh, They all look lovely. The annoying thing is, though, I know you can't crop from them, can you? But I suppose once he's got them in, time will fly by and that's the main thing. Yeah. Get them planted. And before you know it, we'll be cropping because it's expensive, isn't it? Yeah, um, it is. To buy it fresh. Yeah, really. and, um, yeah. And the other thing that I'm going to plant for me probably is the herbs from autumn until spring collection because mm. that really helps with my campaign against buying herbs in plastic wrapping that have been imported from places like Morocco mm. in December and January. Nothing makes me more angry. So, well, past, a few things yeah, make you more angry. Yeah, actually, yeah, yeah, a few things do. But <laughs> this is one of the public, <laughs> of thing, <laughs> public things that make me angry when I'm in the, at the checkout. Yeah. So chervil, coriander, winter savory and parsley, they're all in there and they're all going to be lovely. And I think, you know, on their own, they look nice, don't they, in pots? They do. Funnily enough, I just did a podcast um, recently with Mitch Tonks, the fish Mm. chef, and he was saying he started using winter savory an awful lot. Yeah. Um, And it's it's so great because it's evergreen. And so like rosemary, but with a different, more almost more kind of like thymey flavour. Anyway, mm. it's really delicious. And he says it's fantastic with fish. So, Lovely. Yeah. So then coming to an end, but I've still got three more things. I don't know how many more you've yeah, I've got. I've got one more thing. Okay. I really love the ornate candelabra. And it's a nice story, really, which is that I do lots of shopping on Instagram of kind of secondhand stuff, things for the house and... I don't buy clothes. I don't drive a smart car, but I I do like, I don't wear smart shoes, but I love buying things for the house. And I bought a candelabra exactly like this. I don't know, maybe about five years ago in a sort of brocant shop. And then, so we've had this made. And the reason I love it, and it's been copied, is that it sits really happily anywhere because it's sort of rectangular in shape with five candle holders. And it sits on a mantelpiece perfectly and it sits in the middle of a table perfectly. It sits on the kitchen table perfectly. It sits on a square table, a rectangular table or a round table. I love it. And it's sort of not too smart. You know, I don't want too shiny somehow. It's quite sort of shabby chic, which I like. So, yeah, I'm really keen on that. And I'm also incredibly keen on fake Chinese lanterns. Now, isn't that a weird thing? You'd think I 
really wouldn't like anything fake flower-wise. But I just find that the real Chinese lanterns, which I adore too, they drop off so easily. And so I used to do a mix of real dried and then the faux ones. And do you know what? I've ended up just going for the faux ones because they're so good. They really look the part. And so in the autumn, I tend to do a big vase on the sort of puff in front of the fire. And I mix it with something like sanguisorba seed heads or Japanese anemone seed heads or perhaps steeper gigantia. And it can sit there for a month or even more up until almost Christmas when I take it down and do the Christmas decorations. But that is an, a kind of everlasting but really, really lovely arrangement to have in the house. And I then put them in the attic and I get down the Christmas decorations and they do a swap. And um, I couldn't more recommend that. I also love the bunch of candles that are next to it. Oh, that's also good, yeah, isn't it? The Chinese lantern um, collection. Wonderful. Yeah. yeah wonderful colours. They're really good. Yeah. Final one from me is um, my husband, Adam, is currently researching a book on garden and woodland birds. And we have spent an awful lot of time this year, him more than me, but me whenever I can, literally just sitting and watching in the wood or in our kitchen. Blue tits, great tits wrens, chaffinches, goldfinches, if we're lucky. And down in the wood, two new families of birds I just haven't come across because I suppose they're woodland, not garden. And those are siskins and bramblings. And I'm obsessed. Anyway, so squirrel-proof bird feeder is an absolute must for me. And the more I can have around the garden um, and even in the wood to keep the population around us really high, And of course, as we go into the winter, it's really important to feed them. And the only thing I'd say about a squirrel-proof bird feeder is remember, if you've got a squirrel-proof one, they do work, but remember, remember, you need to hang it low enough in a branch so that the squirrels can't just hang down and eat the nuts. And what we found is that the squirrels eat the string, so we now hang it from wire because they can't, because otherwise they eat the string, it falls down onto the ground and they eat all the peanuts or all the sunflower hut. So, um, yeah, good bull's I, hook. I have become not a passionate fan of the grey squirrel, I have to say. But anyway, if you're going to get a squirrel-proof bird feeder, don't forget that you've got a squirrel-proof what you're hanging it from as well, because <laughs> otherwise they'll get the better of you. Um. I'm really proud of our Beirut Rose range. I think we've got some absolute crackers. I get very annoyed at people who seem to be completely not willing to try things that don't start with D-A when it comes to roses. I'm not going to say mm. what I mean by that. But mm. I promise you, if you look outside that box, there's some wonderful ones for cut flowers. But the one I'm going to plant en masse this winter is Mutablis mm. because I just think it's the most ele- elegant thing. And I was at uh, Richford Pottery yesterday. And they got it in pots, and I've never mm. seen a rose look happier. Wow, that's Absolutely such a Absolutely beautiful. And they'd obviously been listening to you because they were underplanting with salvias. But it, it oh. was like, I mean, it's called the butterfly rose, isn't it? Yeah. I think one of its common names. And it literally flowers yeah. for six or seven months. That's it's so such a airy. Good idea. And yeah, so I'm going to have to go back to Witchford Pottery to photograph it because I was stupid and didn't plant any myself last winter. But this winter, I'm going to plant myself lots of it. And it just looks so healthy and the flowers change, don't they? They start out magenta yes. pink and then they fade to this peach. And of course, yeah. they're single, so they're yeah. going to be fantastic for pollinators too. So remember that when you're choosing your roses, go for a few single ones as well as yeah. the totally double ones. 
Yeah, it's a stunner. Uh, Beautiful coral foliage in the spring as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's a real stunner. Thanks very much for listening. Next week, Arthur and I are going to be talking about alliums. Now, we've done it before on the podcast, but there are so many new varieties coming out at the moment that I really wanted to get us to talk about it again. So whether it be old, classics or new favourites, it's alliums all the way next week. See you then. You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahaven.com.